Good morning. I'm Alex Mosed, and we are here on Winner Take All, where we talk about all things tech monopolies and regulation. So we're going to talk about some earnings releases. We have Alibaba beat earnings uh, and is up over 5% this morning. Walmart also beat earnings. Macy's did not beat earnings. And so there's a, a slew of um, additional kind of department store retailers that'll be coming out with earnings announcements over the next week or so. Uh, WeWork just filed its IPO documents. Kind of hilarious. If you want an early morning laugh, uh, stay tuned. There's a company called C2FO. A um, little bit of a tongue twister there. SoftBank just put a bunch of money in it. There's a new platform dynamic to their model, and we're going to dive into that. Let's get started here and 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 talk about Asia. So Alibaba, um, we were just talking about Alibaba on the last episode of Winner Take All and how they have over 2x the amount of GMV than Amazon does. They have over $800 billion in GMV than Amazon does. Amazon has about $277 billion in GMV. Um, but Alibaba, from a revenue standpoint, has actually much less revenue than Amazon. Um, and that had to do with their advertising model and all these things. So Alibaba announced revenue of um, $16.74 billion uh, for the quarter. This is the first quarter of their, I think, maybe fiscal 2020 year. Um, and that was an increase of 42% year over year, uh, beating expectations uh, by a good margin on that, as well as their earnings per share was up and beating expectations over 20%. And so this was uh, what I was predicting was that Alibaba would beat. And the way that I, I think that they were able to beat was just if you look at that differential, 1674 uh, quarterly revenue, right? So they're doing less than $70 billion in revenue overall, but they have over $800 billion in throughput. And that, so I think they attributed a lot of their revenue and earnings beat to expansion into rural markets in China. Um, Pinduoduo, PDD, also in Platt, Baba, Alibaba, and PDD are both in Platt. Uh, PDD is the number three e-commerce player in China but they do these uh, group buying, group purchasing, right? So if you're kind of a small village in rural China, you all pool together your purchases and do one big purchase. Um, and so that's been hugely popular in, in many rural parts of China. Alibaba has been trying to bring that group buying, group purchasing dynamic uh, to their product offering and to their, to their flow uh, in order to expand into rural China. So they attributed a lot of this growth to expansion in rural China. I think the other part of this is, is that they have a lot of the ability to just take more revenue as a relation to the 800 plus billion dollars in GMV that they're doing. If uh, last year's financials, they were doing maybe around $56 billion in revenue compared to over $800 billion in GMV. That's a pretty big differential, especially when you look at Amazon's model where they're doing $277 billion in GMV and about $230 billion in revenue. So it's, it's a much smaller gap there. Um, both Alibaba and Amazon have strong cloud uh, businesses as well. So Alibaba's up. In other news, uh, Alibaba's executive chairman, Joe Tsai, um, is now rumored to take over uh, all of the Brooklyn Nets. I think he was a minority owner, maybe 49% or something like that. But now he's going all in and he's going to buy out the rest of the Russian billionaire that owns the other 50, 51 percent. 
um, and rumored to be the, the whole owner of the Brooklyn Nets. So um, what are some other platform uh, founders? Joe is a co-founder of Alibaba along with um, Jack Ma, obviously, but some other platform founders that, have, that like to own sports teams as, as their uh, professional career kind of matures. Um, if you remember the, the late Paul Allen, um, the owner of the Seahawks, um, also Steve Ballmer owning the Clippers. Uh, so we've got a couple platform founders into, into basketball and, um, football, but, uh, kind of interesting to see where, where these guys careers go after, um, after platform wars. So let's, let's, let's shift back to the U S let's look at Walmart. Um, Walmart total revenue was up $130.4 billion. This is just in one quarter, by the way. Um, that's an increase of uh, almost 1.8% from the year prior. They beat expectations on the revenue growth. Their U.S. e-commerce sales growth was 37%. So this is very strong. They had actually set expectations around 35% U.S. e-commerce growth. They are continuing to say that they'll have at least 35% U.S. e-commerce growth uh, going forward. But this is a massive number. And um, if we look back at these e-commerce market share numbers, now, the numbers are wrong. Okay, not all these numbers are correct. Like what I was just talking about with Amazon, right? If Amazon's doing $277 billion in GMV, why is this $234 billion number here for Amazon? So, not all these numbers are spot on, but let's look at um, where Walmart's at, right? So they have Walmart at um, $21 billion uh, in, um, in e-commerce here with 39% growth rate. So what they're saying is we're going to have at least 35% growth rate going into 2019, not 327 And they just had 37% growth rate as they reported uh, this morning. So um, this bodes well for Walmart. What's also not captured in these numbers here is that Walmart um, is doing GMV, right? So they're doing more than $20 billion or $21 billion in total throughput in U.S. e-commerce. They have announced about $20 billion in revenue for their U.S. e-commerce. But again, revenue and GMV are different. So we don't really know exactly what Walmart's GMV is. Um, I don't think it's you know, so Amazon has 58% of the stuff of 58% of, of their GMV number is from third-party sellers, right? So only 42% of what they're selling on Amazon is, is recorded as revenue. Um, the other 58% is, is third-party seller, GMV, and then they get a take rate on that. So we don't really know exactly what the ratio is. Obviously, Walmart's not 50-50, so they're not doing, say, $40 billion dollars. Um, in total throughput for U.S. e-commerce, but it's definitely above this twenty twenty one billion dollar number. So then, if you you extrapolate on that, on top of that thirty seven percent growth, let's just say they're doing thirty billion dollars. Um, this is on an annual basis, but if you can grow thirty billion dollars um, at at least a third every year, okay, you know now you're up in the forties of billions of you know forty plus billion dollars in total throughput in U.S. e-commerce growth. And then if you look at what Walmart's total sales are, right? So they reported, uh, what was the exact number? $130 billion. So annually, 
they're at around, say, $520 billion. What that's saying is that over the next year or so, U.S. e-commerce for Walmart could approach 10% of their total volume. That's a very big deal considering it was only around 2 or 3% a couple of years ago. So approaching 10% of overall, now this is, this is all the way, by the way, over $500 billion in Walmart is international as well. That's not just the, the U.S. portion. So I would say over the next 12 months, we're going to see U.S. e-commerce for Walmart absolutely eclipse the 10% ratio of total throughput in the US. Does that make sense? So they are doing less than over $500 billion in revenue just in the United States, right? So if they're going to be up over $40 billion in total US e-commerce, that's going to pass the 10% threshold. And that's, I think, a very big milestone internally. They're not explicitly breaking that out and reporting it that way. But as a mindset shift internally and culturally, for what Doug and Mark and and the rest of the Walmart team team are trying to do there, I really got to give them a lot of credit. Um, And that's a very big, I think, conceptual milestone for them to celebrate internally, even if they don't want to necessarily report that uh, externally. So really good job to the Walmart team. Um, They're up, I don't know, over over five, 6% this morning. In other bad news for U.S. retail is what's happening with Macy's. I mean, look, um, the the Macy's folks, the Macy's shares sink. They're having to discount a bunch of inventory. They're blaming it on tourism dropping. I mean, it's kind of a joke. You know, I was trying to poke around on this, right? Um, Like, let's do a little comparison here. I took some screenshots. Okay. Okay, here we go. You go to Macy's.com. You look at women's clothing. You punch in women's clothing. I got 36, see this, 36,600 results. I was just trying to figure out how many SKUs, how much stuff does Macy's sell? And this is women's clothing, so this isn't the whole product catalog, but I don't know. I would imagine women's clothing is a good amount of the stuff that Macy's sells, right? Let's just say they're not selling more than three or four million SKUs. If they've got 36,000 of women's clothing, if that's 10% of the product catalog, which I think is generous, I'd say women's clothing is much more than 10% of the stuff that that Macy's is selling, certainly probably by like a a revenue basis. Um, Let's say Macy's has no more than three, four, five million SKUs in inventory on the website. Um, Okay, so then I popped on over to Amazon and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm, I am now in women's clothing. And then I had to, and then it, Amazon breaks it out a little bit differently. Now there I'm in dresses and now I'm in casual. Okay. There's club and night out, cocktail, formal work and wedding dress. Wow. And then there's like 20 other categories of, of, of different types of women's clothing, casual women's Dresses has 18,000 products. Okay, it's 50% of all of the stuff that Macy's has total for women's clothing. I mean, there's no comparison here. What What does the marketplace value prop deliver time and time again? The widest product catalog selection, the widest array 
of selection to the customer and the best prices. Macy's is getting rocked. And we're seeing it in these results. Their shares are, I don't know, down over 10%. And here's the irony. Let's go back to these fake e-commerce numbers. Um, These numbers are correct, though, because Macy's doesn't really have GMV. That's the problem. So they're saying Macy's has $6.6 billion in e-commerce in the U.S. They're the number seven player. You would think that Macy's would try and figure out how to let third-party sellers add inventory into Macy's, right? If we read some of these reports on um, why Macy's is in so so much trouble, there's a part in this article here from May. As, As department stores' troubles have grown, brands urge to be independent. Um, brands no longer trust that department stores won't slash their inventory. Yada, da, da, da. Um, they're building out their own websites. What it's saying is there are all these direct to consumer brands. All of these brands are now selling online first. And who introduced that possibility? Amazon. I can now build a consumer product, a clothing business, and I can just sell directly on Amazon. I don't need to now deal with having to get distribution through Macy's or all these department stores. And so um, Ralph Lauren is closing uh, a quarter of its, um, you know, the little kind of like boutiques that they have within the department stores like Macy's. So all of this is going away. And you need to embrace the marketplace model, which these department stores just simply aren't doing. Um, Walmart is doing it. I wouldn't say that the marketplace dynamic is the only thing that is making Walmart's rebound story successful, but it's a very powerful dynamic of it. Um, Other stuff that's helping Walmart is the ability to buy online and pick up in store. And so they're really trying to close this gap. Um, But that also helps lift their in-store sales, which is, again, over... 80, 90% 80, 90% of the overall um, throughput of Walmart is still going through the store. For Macy's, they actually have a decent e-commerce business, but they're not opening up this marketplace. So now let's just go a little bit more into specifics, right? If Macy's has three or four million SKUs total on Macy's.com, it's an estimate. Um, it's probably less. They should have 10x that. They should have tens of millions of SKUs if you want to be able to compete with Amazon. And just think about what that would mean for Macy's. If they have internal buyers and those internal buyers are having to now go source 20 million products, buy 20 million products, stock them, put them in their balance sheet, and then resell those 20 million products, just the logistics and like getting them to all the stores, it's just not going to happen. Um, they're just never able to handle that level of scale. They're just trying to to use their their store model. What they're not saying is, if I really think of myself as a tech company, as an internet company selling products online, how would I do that? And then you would naturally say, well, I want more than three or four million SKUs online. I want to have 20 million SKUs. How could I get to 20 million SKUs? That is what the Macy's executives should be challenging themselves with internally. How do we get to 20 million SKUs in 12 months? 12 months. That should be the test. When Walmart bought Jet.com, they had 15 million SKUs online, pre-acquisition. Within 12 months of buying Jet.com, 
Walmart had 60 million SKUs, six zero. They added 45 million SKUs worth of inventory. They didn't add 45 million SKUs worth of inventory by buying 45 million SKUs themselves. No, they let third-party sellers come and sell stuff on Jet, on Walmart, and build out that product catalog. There's no reason why Macy's should not be able to cross 10 million plus SKUs within 12 months. There's no reason if they embrace the marketplace model. Now start to figure that now, then work backwards from that. Think about all the choice that brings to the Macy's customer. It completely throws their logistics and fulfillment and all of that into an absolute nightmare, but you got to do it because that's what the customer wants. And if you don't give the customer what they want, then they go to Amazon and you're going to get destroyed as we're seeing. I think JCPenney is down like 50% right now. These retailers are in a death spiral um, unless they embrace a marketplace model. So um, yeah, we'll see about that. Also interesting here, they want to take some of these guys private. Nordstrom's um, Nordstrom's and Hudson Bay, the, the family that owns Nordstrom's is thinking about taking Nordstrom's private. Oh my God, please don't take the company private. If, th- if this is the Nordstrom's family, Put your money somewhere else. This is a sinking ship, my friend. And taking them private isn't going to save the business just because the company has exposure to the public equity markets. That's not the thing ruining the business and destroying its long-term potential. It's the fact that it's having to compete against marketplaces. What's another marketplace in the luxury goods space? Farfetch. (laughs) We just spoke about Farfetch in our last episode. Buying off-white. Genius purchase. $675 million dollars. You cannot compete. Even a Farfetch um, is going to give a Nordstrom's and a Hudson's Bay, which, which uh, I think they own Saks and other high-end you know, department stores. Those are the old business model of selling luxury goods, luxury clothing items to customers. The new model is a Farfetch. Um, so don't buy them. Don't take them private. Just stay away. Put your money into, into Farfetch. Um, or maybe try and create a far-fetched competitor and become a marketplace. But but just taking them private is not going to solve this. So in other funny news, public news, oh man, it just keeps getting better this morning. Um, we work as a tech company. Did you guys know that? I didn't know that. Um, I don't know if WeWork knows it, but they're trying to say that they're a tech company. WeWork has higher valuations than Uber. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's just pause on that. WeWork has higher valuations than Uber. Wow. Okay, um, WeWork reported their IPO filing. They said they did $1.7 billion in revenue. You can't make this stuff up. They're valuing themselves at $47 billion. Okay, that's over, what is that, like a 25x revenue multiple? They're losing. Um, I don't know, $900 million, wherever the number is. They're losing an insane amount of, yeah, no, oh my God. They lose $1.9 billion. I don't even need to know these exact numbers. They have over 25X revenue multiple. Uber had, um, you know, a, a, on a revenue multiple basis, they were doing over $10 billion in revenue forget where they exactly IPO'd at, but it was no more than maybe 70 or $80 billion. So 
it's not even it's not even close, right? It's Uber's not even doing a 10x revenue multiple. WeWork is over 20x revenue multiple. I mean, the numbers just don't compute. WeWork is saying it's a tech company. The WeWork is doing $1.7 billion in revenue and they're spending like $1.5, $1.6 billion just on the leases. Okay, so they're barely making 100 or $200 million in just the most basic unit economics. That's not even gross margin because gross margin should should factor in their CAC, their cost of customer acquisition. This is just, I rent the thing out for $1.7 billion and then I pay the landlords $1.5 or $1.6 billion. I'm making like $100, $200 million spread. This company, bad news bears. And it might actually be worse for the Nordstrom's family to put their money into WeWork than to take Nordstrom's private. I don't know which one's worse. This thing is no bueno. Um, And then there's all this kooky stuff going on with the CEO, Adam Newman, owns a lot of the leases. So he owns, Adam, the CEO is buying the buildings, then WeWork is leasing from the CEO. I mean, can you say conflict of interest? Um, The CEO has huge amounts of control to actually, right, from a voting share standpoint with the thing going public. There's all these kind of kooky self-dealings in here, which would scare me. Um, and the CEO is getting rich. The founders are getting rich. And the valuations sure is rich. I don't know why SoftBank put money into this. I, I think this was a bad call on, on SoftBank's part. Um, it's not a tech company. This is a real estate company doing all sorts of funky stuff. They used to have this thing called community-adjusted EBITDA. Anytime you hear anything kooky that is skewing EBITDA, run for the hills, baby. Community-adjusted EBITDA, they finally kind of got away from that. But what they're trying to say is, oh, well, the EBITDA, well, if we have, you know, if we're investing in a real estate location, but it's not currently running, well, we want to take that out of our EBITDA calculation. Boo-hoo, okay? You don't get to just make up your own rules. Give them EBITDA straight up and don't play any games because this business is in some deep trouble. I would, I would not touch this with a 10-foot pole. Other stuff that SoftBank did, which I do think is interesting, but just SoftBank has so much money. They're literally just all over the place. So there's this company called C2FO. CTFO has very strong backers. Um, Peter Thiel's uh, Mithril Capital. Mithril is a VC firm uh, started by Peter. Peter has a few different VC firms, but it's kind of their like later growth stage uh, VC firm. Mithril Capital is definitely a throwback to Tolkien, by the way, if there's any Lord of the Rings fans, okay? Peter's a big Tolkien fan. And so the interesting thing with C2FO, I think their business model has changed over the past few years. When I first looked at them a few years ago, I think they're still doing this, but basically what they would do is they would go to a big company, say Coca-Cola, and they would say, hey, Coca-Cola, um, use us because we're going to now let your suppliers you know, uh, give you, we're going to let you push out your um, payment terms with your suppliers and, and kind of have this network effect where, you know, we're going to let people um, buy and sell receivables and this kind of stuff. But it wasn't really true on platform. Um, now it looks like they have a legitimate platform model where they are creating a marketplace to let people um, uh, to let businesses basically sell off their receivables. This is kind of like a lending marketplace, it seems like. And that seems to be the model that SoftBank is helping them now blow out. So 
you know, if I'm supposed to be get paid in 30 or 60 days from this big company, Coca-Cola, um, would someone come in and, um, and then help me advance those receivables? Coca-Cola is a reliable company. I'm just using Coca-Cola hypothetically. I have no idea if C2FO actually works with Coca-Cola, but the idea was that they would get these big, these big enterprises that you could rely on them paying their bills. And then that would allow Coca-Cola to now give much longer payment terms to their suppliers, which is good for Coca-Cola. But now it seems like they've created essentially kind of like a three-sided marketplace here. And they needed this third side. I think they never really had the third side until relatively recently here, um, where now the third side are basically lenders. And the lenders are now going to come help finance those receivables with the suppliers. So now, if you're a supplier, you're much more comfortable to maybe take longer terms from a Coca-Cola. And Coca-Cola might give you um, preferential terms or Coca-Cola might, um, you know, if, if you let, if you give Coca-Cola a longer cycle, you know, Coca-Cola might pay you better terms and then you could go finance those receivables in C2FO's lending marketplace. I think that's some of what they're going for here. It says, uh, C2FO's online marketplace matches suppliers hoping to be paid earlier with counterparts who buy their invoices at a discount and are repaid the full amount, right? So then Coca-Cola is actually paying the third-party lender, three-sided. So that makes sense, right? There's a, there's a big business in, in kind of just uh, kind of like merchant, merchant cash advances and you're kind of uh, just providing an advance against these receivables. Um, so SoftBank put in $200 million or leads the round, this $200 million round um, for C2FO. So I think that'll be interesting to see how um, how that pans out in this lending marketplace arena, which we've touched on, which is highly fragmented. There's a big lack of pricing transparency. And just the lending model in general um, has, I think, has a huge winner-take-all dynamic that no one has really uh, capitalized on as well as they could. It'll be interesting to see how, how that pans out for them. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us and I'll talk to you soon.